self-publishing. I think there is something empowering for women to say, this is this thing that I love and that I know how to do that I can bring directly to a consumer. That, you know, for a lot of the women in my film, the traditional publishers, the gatekeepers had said no. When Kindle came along and when self-publishing sort of took off, you didn't have those gatekeepers anymore. And you could say, I'm going to bring this to a consumer that I know exists that maybe these experts are saying aren't there and those experts are wrong. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Austin Rackless, a writer and filmmaker living in Los Angeles. She recently directed and produced the documentary Naughty Books, which highlights both the ups and downs experienced by self-published authors in the romance space. In addition, Austin is a regular writer for Wondery Podcasts and American Innovations and Business Wars. Let's dive into today's show. Well, hello, everybody. I'm here with Austin Rackless, who is coming out with her documentary, or it is out already, Naughty Books. Thanks for joining us today, Austin. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's jump right in here. How did you come up with the idea to do a documentary about the romance publishing space? Sure. So I had gone to film school, so I was interested in making films. But at the time, I was working for a literary agency that represented books. And one of my coworkers, an agent there, who actually now appears in the film named Rebecca Friedman, started representing these authors who were self-published romance authors who had found a huge amount of success in the wake of Fifty Shades of Grey. And she was helping them transition to getting traditional published deals. And she was just started telling me stories about a lot of these clients. And some of them had gone from like true financial dire straits, like borrowing money to pay for groceries to making like hundreds of thousand dollars per month by putting these books on Amazon. Right. And I thought that was a really fascinating story. And it wasn't getting a lot of attention in the mainstream press. Fifty Shades of Grey was such sort of a phenomenon that that was sort of sucking up all the air around that topic. And I was like, oh, this is something that's not being told. And I liked that it had this sort of classic American dream narrative to it that you could build a movie around, but it also had all these branches that came off of it that you could talk about changes in the publishing industry and how the dynamic between self-publishing and traditional publishing was changing or ideas of questions about women's sexuality, female empowerment. There was all these other ideas that could tie back to this one main arc. And then what really sort of pushed me over the edge, because to be honest, I've had this idea that, oh, something would make a good documentary, but have never actually followed through on it, was that she told me about this convention that was taking place in Las Vegas called the Naughty Mafia Convention that some of her clients were involved in. 
and that there were going to be a hundred self-published authors there who had all hit New York Times bestseller list and that thousands of fans were coming. And I think it was about six months away from when she told me about it. And it it felt very concrete. It was like, okay, I have six months to put together a crew Mm -hmm. and go to Las Vegas for five days and shoot this event and find some subjects. Like it, it just felt very doable and manageable in a way that some of my other ideas had been a little more amorphous and I wasn't sure where to start. So that's where we started. All the stars aligned on that one, it sounds like. Exactly. So that's how it started. I mean, this has been your first entree into that avenue. So obviously, it's probably been a little bit of a learning experience, too. What surprised you most about making the documentary? Well, I will say I was very naive when I started. And I thought that the whole thing would be done in about two years. And instead, it took seven. I've subsequently learned that the average independent documentary takes five years. And I think just when I started it, I thought our main arc was going to be sort of this rise. And we would talk about these people's lives before and then sort of capture them through their height. And I thought maybe at the end, the question would be like, well, what happens next? Is this sustainable? But even in that first shoot, everybody was talking about the market saturated. We're not making the money that we used to. It's so much harder to break in. And the sort of question of how do you maintain success became a much bigger part of the film than I had initially thought that it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, we work with a number of authors in that space and in this space, and we've seen that ourselves in, in working with them, that there have been a lot of people that have come into the industry and or left. It seems like there's a lot of forces also that are having an impact. You want to talk about Amazon controlling the publishing space. They have certainly have had an impact on this genre. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think Amazon empowered this genre, you know, by allowing the Kindle that people could directly upload their work, but they are represent, I don't know, something like 90% of the sales. So you are very dependent on this company and they like to change things. So mm-hmm. when Kindle Unlimited became introduced, that was a game changer. They're always changing their algorithms. So I think a lot of self-published authors, it's like, you can never get comfortable because you never know what Amazon's going to throw at you next. And then you have to adjust to that besides just general other forces in the market that you also have to adapt to. Yeah, we were actually introduced to this industry early on for a number of reasons, which are too long to get into for this podcast. But one of the reasons was we were brought in by some industry folks, because as you found out, there were many people who had this huge success overnight had this huge income overnight. And what they ended up doing in a lot of cases was spending that money, not even realizing that they were going to owe taxes on that money as an independent contractor. And when the tax bill came several months later after the end of the year, they didn't even have the money to pay the tax bill because they didn't even realize it. So I'm sure that's reflected in your stories. (laughs) Yeah, financial literacy is a real issue. And if your financial circumstances change that dramatically, oh, I don't know what to do, how to preserve that money, that how to invest, how to allocate money for taxes. There's a huge learning curve. You know, obviously financial success is a great and you know, these people's lives are much better off. You know, that's a better problem to have than I don't know how I'm going to pay for groceries. But it's still a problem that needs to be addressed and needs to be learned, you know. And unfortunately people who typically don't know how to afford to pay for groceries usually don't have the financial wherewithal to understand many of these topics or haven't been exposed to it. It's, you know, and no fault of their own. It just hasn't come up in their upbringing or their situation. Right. Or, the, you know, how do they find people like you who can advise them? How right. do you get that network? Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. 
In the film, Rebecca Friedman speaks about how many women had, like you said, no money. They struggled to feed their children. How have you seen this space of empowering women financially? Because there are some, as shown in your film, that are succeeding and are continuing to be successful. What has been the positive? What has been that empowerment that's come out of it? Yeah, I haven't gone and looked, but like how the rise of Etsy also parallels the rise in self-publishing. I think there is something empowering for women to say, this is this thing that I love and that I know how to do that I can bring directly to a consumer. That, you know, for a lot of the women in my film, the traditional publishers, the gatekeepers had said no many times in the past. And when Kindle came along and when self-publishing sort of took off, you didn't have those gatekeepers anymore. And you could say, I'm going to bring this to a consumer that I know exists that maybe these experts are saying aren't there and those experts are wrong. So I think there is something empowering in being able to take something that you love and bring it straight to a consumer. And I think that anytime that you can change your circumstances from being very precarious financially to having more stability financially is good. Now you have to maintain that stability and that is difficult and it is unpredictable. You might have a great year followed by a less great year. But I do think to say I believe in myself and to have an avenue to bring that to directly to your market is empowering. Yeah. And I mean, I think the trials and the tribulations that you speak to about bringing it to the marketplace and sustaining it is something that we've talked about with authors and even our author clients about, which is this is a business. Although many people, I think you probably saw this through your process, many of them ended up there because it was something they loved to do. They really enjoyed it. But those that are going to be and want to be most successful are really going to have to treat it like a business, like an entity in order to work through those trials and tribulations and get out on the other side. Absolutely. And when you self-publish, you are the CEO of your own company and it's you and maybe you hire an editor or designers, but it's still you as opposed to a traditional publisher. They have millions of books, thousands of books that they're overseeing and they're going to be the ones who are thinking about the cover and who are thinking about how to market that. All of that comes back onto you and you self-publish. And there is something empowering about that, but it's not right for every person. Like if you're somebody who is just not interested in that side of it, like you just want to write your book, I don't think self-publishing is the right route because you can do it, but just don't have the expectations that you're going to be able to quit your job. You can definitely do that on the side. And that's completely viable. There's nothing about this that says you have to make it your full-time job. But if you're genuinely just not interested in the business side of it, self-publishing is going to be a big challenge because that is, you know, I was talking with one of my authors who said that writing the book is like 10% of what she does. Right. And the other part is, how do I market? What price point am I going to sell this at? What's the best cover to attract my readers for the genre that there's just so many decisions beyond how do I tell the best story that I can? Yeah, you have to be good at a lot of things, or you have to be in a position where you're going to grow and sustain that growth, where you can be the chief visionary and the writer and have a team of folks that are going to execute all those other areas that you don't want to concentrate on or learn because you're not very interested. You're really interested in the writing, right? So it's really one or the other or not be self-published like you mentioned earlier. Right. And even if you go that route where you hire other people, you're still a boss and you're still having to manage a bunch of other people. That is also a decision that you're going to have to make that you want to do. I think there is a misconception 
just in the general population that self-publishing is somehow easier than traditional publishing. And it's easier in terms of, yes, you click a button and your book is now on Amazon. But in terms of everything else, it's not easier. Like You're having to do a lot more by yourself. I agree. I think the only thing easier is the barrier to entry. You have a lower barrier to entry to get in there, but everything else is probably just as, if not more, more difficult and challenging. After you've gone through this process and learning what you've learned and what you've experienced, what would you like listeners to know about the romance book marketplace? Well, I think for one thing, this is maybe less about the marketplace and about the genre, is if you've never read romance, I think You have a perception of it that it's sort of the Harlequin romance, the Fabio covers, but that's really only one aspect of the romance genre. It's a very wide ranging genre. It's more of an umbrella category that many different genres are published underneath. So I think it's much more diverse in all senses of that word. And I think for aspiring writers, I would say, I think maybe in 2012, 2013, very early on when it was smaller, You could publish your book and there were good odds that it would at least have an initial balance and it would sell really well. The market has changed a lot since then. It needs to be a much more deliberate choice that this is the right path for you and that you want to do this. Yeah, I think there's a few more challenges in there and you can't really ride that wave of the 50 shades of gray that might have been there when it first came out. So I think that's great advice. In the film, the owners of Rip Bodice address some of the misconceptions about the industry. What would you say to someone who says the industry exploits women? Because that's something that is clear in your film and has come out in other areas. I think when people say that it's exploiting them, what they're sort of alluding to is this idea that the romance genre presents a fantastical version of relationships and it's setting women up with poor expectations of what a relationship would be like and unrealistic. And there's this idea that maybe readers can't distinguish between fantasy and reality. And I disagree with that. I also think that fantasy is a big appeal of all fiction genres. Like I read across a wide range of genres. I'm not exclusively a romance reader. And one genre that I read a lot in is mystery. Well, let me tell you, that's a fantasy because I am never, ever going to solve a murder. Like It's just not going to happen. And part of the reason we read fiction is to read experiences that we're not going to have. But furthermore, I would go back to what the women that you, the owners of the bookstore, said that this is a genre that is primarily written, produced, and sold and bought for women by women. So it's hard to make the argument to me that it's exploitative. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it gives them an avenue. Listen, I've run into some male writers in this genre, but I think they're the exception to the rule. I think you'd agree. It's predominantly women. And I think it gives them a great opportunity and avenue for a career or an opportunity that perhaps wasn't here 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. I agree. Which is excellent. So, I mean, what would you say? Obviously, we've had a lot of discussion about self-publishing and how it's changed over the years. What would you say to those authors out there, aspiring authors who are considering self-publishing? How would you recommend that they proceed? So I think, like we said, you do have to acknowledge that it's a business and that is going to be part of your responsibilities if you decide to pursue this route. The other thing is, I think that I saw a question on Twitter that was, would you still write if you knew nobody was ever going to read it? And the implication was that if your answer was no, then you shouldn't pursue it. And I don't agree with that. I don't think there's anything wrong as a creative person wanting people to read or see your work or even make money from it. But 
there is a spectrum. And if you're only wanting to do it to make money and you don't enjoy the writing process, it's not the right route because writing is still a big part of it. And there's no guarantees in terms of what success you're going to have. So I think to have an enjoyable experience with that, you have to also like the process. And I would also say if you're going to quit your job, you probably want to have an emergency fund set aside just Absolutely. So I think you also have to think of this as a not as a get rich quick scheme, but as a long term plan. And either you're going to be okay that it's going to be a side job and you're going to maintain a job or that it might take five years. I think if you're only going in for the money, you're going to be disappointed because even if you hit that money once, you might not hit it again. So I think there has to be that balance between art and commerce. And ideally, you're somewhere in the middle. I think. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Again, if this is what you want to do and you want to make a career out of it, you have to treat it to some degree like a business. And businesses have ebbs and flows and some businesses have great years and then they don't have a great year, but you have to plan to be fiscally responsible for that just in case. And I think you have to do the same thing in this instance. There are some authors, which I think you point out even in the film, that have gotten into this rhythm that they've kind of figured out the business and they know how to operate within the parameters that are made available and how to change as needed to adapt and adopt to those changes. And they're able to write on a regular basis, consistently putting out work. And they're seriously sitting at a desk or wherever, seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day writing just like anybody else would do at their normal job. Yeah. And one of our authors, Kristen Proby, who's featured and has the most consistent success of our subjects, you know, she's incredibly disciplined. I mean, she writes 5,000 words a day, no matter what. And then she's also very business savvy and she does designates a certain number of hours per day to managing the business side of it. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It is just like any other job. She sits in that office and she writes those words. It doesn't matter that Theoretically, this is fun. You know, you're writing about people falling in love. It's like you still have to sit down and you have to put those words on the page. Yeah, we are a big fan of Kristen Proby. She's a big supporter of the Keith Milano Memorial Fund, which is a charity that my wife and I or a memorial fund that my wife and I had started at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And over the years, she has been very, very supportive of the work we've done. So we're very familiar with her and honor her success and are very excited when we see her success. So it's excellent. The film did a great job of showing the ups and downs of business ownership, which we've kind of discussed a little bit, and some of those traps. Are there any business tips or business takeaways that you got from making the film? Oh, in terms of for myself, I think a certain amount of perseverance, I think, and how you weather those ups and downs and how you pick yourself up after the disappointments and you say, okay, well, maybe this strategy didn't work. What's a different strategy that I can take? And I do think that discipline that I saw from those successful authors that, yeah, maybe one day I was really tired and didn't want to write the email that I needed to write, but you still have to do it if you want to make headway and just not giving up and saying, okay, maybe one avenue didn't work. What's another avenue that I can use and persevering? You know, obviously this took seven years when I thought it was going to take two. So, But every time I thought about walking away from the project, that felt worse than whatever hurdle I needed to overcome. So listen, it's like anything else, right? Businesses, you have to make that five-year mark because most of them don't. 
And anything worthwhile takes a lot of perseverance and dedication, for sure. And I'm sure the community is very pleased and happy with the outcome and the fact that you stuck with it and are able to tell this story. Yeah, I've been very pleased with the response from the community. And I was really nervous. I thought they would like it. I hope they would like it. So it's very gratifying to see that thus far they seem to be liking it. Awesome. Well, listen, this is the Midland Money Mindset. And we end every show with the same last question to all our guests. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? All right. So today's been a little bit of a whirlwind. I woke up to something that had to be taken care of right away. And I need to get it done before I need to talk to you. And I am three hours behind you, I would right. like to point out. So I haven't done it yet, but something that I started doing about maybe two to three years ago that's made a really big difference in my life is doing something called morning pages. Okay. Where well, early you wake up and you write three pages in a journal and you don't stop and you don't think about it and you just write. And even if you're writing, I don't know what to say, I have nothing to say, you write it and you can be really petty. Anything that's in your mind, just get it out. And the idea is that you just get all of that out and then that will lead you to be able to do the things that you actually want to do. And it's oriented toward creative people. And I do find it helpful when I am doing creative work. But even on days where I'm not, I have found that I'm much less likely to put off something that I'm dreading doing and I just get it done. And that has been something that I really look forward to doing in the morning and have made a big part of my habits. And I'm planning as soon as we get done, that is what I'm going to do. (laughs) Well, it sounds like a great way to start the day with a clear head and a clear mind and really focus in on what you need to do. So thank you for sharing that. So if people want to find you, Austin, online, what's the best way for them to do that. So the website for the film is naughtybooksdoc.com. And that is also our Instagram account. And our Facebook account is Indie Romance Doc because Facebook would not allow me to have naughty in the URL. If you search naughty books, it'll pop (laughs) up. But if you want to go directly there, it's Indie Romance Doc. So that is where the film is. Great. And that's going to be available for rental or purchase, right? Yes. Awesome. iTunes, Amazon, all those places. Great. Well, Austin, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time and make it a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. My pleasure. I want to thank Austin for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset Show. Her documentary, Naughty Books, really provides perspective on what has taken place in the romance writing industry. If you're considering being a self-published author, I would highly suggest watching this film. There are several great business lessons embedded in it. The movie is available on all platforms for purchase or rental, and you can visit NaughtyBooksDoc.com com to learn more. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement.
The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.